Welcome to the KJD Podcast with your host Kurt and Jacob. We are servants of Christ, armed with the Sword of God, the King James Bible, a microphone, and biblical solutions for modern worldly problems. So get your Bibles out, grab a pen, and let's dive right into the Word of God. And welcome to today's episode of KJNV. We will be discussing a very important grassroots topic for us today. Brother Kurt is going to bless us with truth bomb after truth bomb on why we use exclusively the King James Bible. Hello, Brother Jacob. How are you today? Saved and on my way to heaven. Amen. 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 How are we doing? We're doing great. We're so happy to have you and to highlight and really magnify this very important topic about why we use the King James Bible for the English-speaking people, why it is the inerrant, infallible Word of God for the English-speaking people. Brother Jacob, could you open us up in a word of prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, for today's episode and recording, Lord, we we pray for discernment, Lord, uh, to, to speak only what you would have us speak to to lift up your word Lord and to and to spread the gospel we pray for guidance and direction um in today's topic uh, we mean not to offend Lord only to educate and and to grow as ourselves as a, as Christians and and Bible readers Lord uh we we pray that we again just edify you and your word Lord uh, out to the populace um, we're grateful to brother Kurt and to, and for uh, Miss producer Morgan Lord and the opportunity to discuss this and the importance of this topic, uh, Lord, just let us do the right thing. And again, your words be spoken truthfully and honestly. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 And amen. And uh, brother Jacob and, and producer Morgan, I'm just so excited to speak on this topic. Like you said, uh, producer Morgan is a grassroots topic. Why we believe the King James Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God for English-speaking people. And, and I think that's just an uh, amazing uh, topic to talk about. And so what I'd like for us to do, uh, without using any manuscript evidence or textual criticism or theological study semantics, we're just going to use plain common sense to talk about uh, why we believe that the King James Bible is the infallible, inspired word of God. All right, so I uh, would like to start out first by reminding us of Revelation 22 and 18. Revelation 22 and 18, in the back of the book, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the word of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Verse 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So one of the things that I believe we all need to come to grips with, number one is if we're uh, born again believers, blood-bought believers, do we believe these verses or not? Yes or no? Amen. And, and, and depending on your answer, if you believe in these verses, if you believe in Revelation 22, 18, then you have to believe that God gets upset when you add to his word and 20 uh, revelation 22 19 you have to believe that god gets upset when you take away from his word 
I mean, what what do you think about that? I I, I believe those are uh, very critical to what follows later on. And so what we have happening here is we have a situation where we have those who have taken the word of God and they have translated it into other English versions, but they have taken out certain words and then they've added certain words or verses to it. And by doing that, it no longer becomes the, the, the word of God. And God is telling us here very plainly, as a matter of fact, this is the these are the last instructions that God gives us before we conclude with the entire Bible, where he says, don't add to, to this to this word, don't take away. And so for God to make that his very last instructions for us, that should tell us right away that he's serious about uh, not having his word changed. All right. And so Deuteronomy four and two also speaks to not adding and taking away from God's word as well. Probably just read that at your leisure. What I'd like to do is to give you just a couple of examples of where God's word is changed. And one of the examples that I, I like to use, which I think is a powerful example, is uh, actually found in uh, John, the seventh chapter. What I'd like to do is just give you an example out of John 7, 7 real quick. John 7, 7 through 7, 10, it says, uh, uh, well, actually, this is Jesus talking to his half-brothers. So uh, we'll start at John 7, 5 and work our way down. It says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Verse 6, then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Well, that's a message within itself. Verse 8 of John 7 says, Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. Verse 9, but when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. Verse 10, but when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. So what is this saying right here? This particular passage, Jesus is talking to his half-brothers, and there's a festival or a feast going on. And Jesus says, I go not yet up to this feast because my time has not yet come. So when he says he goes not yet up to the feast, what is he saying there? Is he saying that he's not going at all? No, he says no, not, he's not yet. He's not saying that he's not going at all. He's just saying that I'm not going yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when he says he's not going yet, that means he's just not going at that particular time. But he has the option to go later. Now, I'm going to uh, show you why the King James Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God by uh, demonstrating to you what other fake Bible translations say. We'll start with the NIV, the non-inspired version. It says, you go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Now, let's look at the NLT. It says, you go on. I am not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. RSV, go to the festival. RSV, that sounds like some type of respiratory disease. But anyway, RSV, go not uh, go to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. Amplified version, go up to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. ESV, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast for my time is not yet fully come. NASB, 
go up to the feast. I am not going to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived. All of those other Bible versions, what do they do? They say that Jesus does not uh, tells his brothers that he's not going up to the feast. But guess what? If you read those same Bible versions, if you go to verses 9 and 10, you would discover that Jesus does go to the feast. So that would make him now, a liar. Yeah, that, that makes him a liar because if Jesus said in verse 8 that I'm not going up to the feast, and then in verses 9 and 10, he goes to the feast, that makes him a liar. But the King James Bible uses one little three-letter word that corrects all of that. That one little three-letter word is yet. Mm -hmm. Because in the original text, which these other Bible versions don't use, they don't use the Texas Receptus, they use some other uh, foreign text, the Alexandrian text out of Egypt, which we can have a conversation about that later, but that's a corrupt text. Uh, Jesus says, uh, go ye up unto the feast, I go not up to the feast yet. Mm -hmm. But then he goes to the feast later in verses 9 and 10. That's what makes the difference in whether or not our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a liar or not. And this is just one example of how these other Bible versions, the NIV, the NLT, the RSV, the AMP, the ESV, the NASB, the HIV, the ATV, the SUV, the, the COVID, all these other versions, how they make God to be a liar because they omit words that belong in the original text. And so that's just one example out of uh, John, the seventh chapter of why I prefer the King James Bible and why I believe the King James Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God for English speaking people, because my Bible doesn't make Jesus out to be a liar like uh, these Bible versions. Uh, I'll give you a missing uh, Bible version example coming out of the book of Acts. And we're going to be in the eighth chapter, Acts the eighth chapter. Acts what I found eight. interesting while you're pulling that up is uh -huh. if someone's Bible tells their version of the Bible says that shows obviously that Jesus is a liar based on those just the simple omitting of one word, then that takes away Jesus's complete purpose, which is to fill the prophecy and to seek and to help get us into heaven. But if he's a liar, then it's all gone. It's all worthless. Calvary is not possible. Right. The souls are on the line. It's that vital. Yes. Yes. And, and yeah, it's, yeah, it, it is just one little word, but you see, this is what the danger comes from. This is that you have atheists, you have haters of God, you have haters of the word of God. They will look at John seven and they will say, aha, the Bible is not true. Your savior is not true because he lies because he said he wasn't going somewhere in verse 8, and then he actually goes somewhere in verses 9 and 10. This gives an opportunity for Satan and those who hate God to criticize the word of God. But what happens is oftentimes people will use these other Bible versions instead of using the King James Bible. They would use the NIV, the ESV, so on and so forth. And when they do that, they're actually setting themselves up to be criticized because they don't have the real word of God in their hands. They have these other translations, which are not accurate, which are not inspired, which were created, uh, like I said, from uh, uh, bad, corrupted Alexandrian uh, texts out of Alexandria, Egypt. 
and also their 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 motivation for using these alternative Bible versions is for profit. It's not for the prob uh, publishing of the gospel. There's another passage of scripture that says that the, uh, that the love of money is the root of all evil, but I, I digress. The bottom line is the critics of the word of God, they can just rip up and down the ESV and the NIV and all these other Bible translations because there's so much error in it. Whereas the King James Bible is tried, proven, and true Ever since 1611, over 400 years, uh, we have the inerrant, infallible, undeniable word of God. A hater of God, I tell you what, they can't challenge us, challenge us on John, the seventh chapter, because it uses the right words in the right places that were given by God. And that small little three-letter word, yet, is the difference between God, uh, God being a liar and God not. And so... For me, having the right Bible also allows God's word to defend me from criticism because every word of God is true and every word of God, there is no conflict. There is no conflict throughout the, the entire Bible, even though some people may try to say there are conflicts here and there. There are conflicts in those other Bible versions, though. And let me give you something else here, because I actually had a woman challenge me on this when I was out soul winning many, many years ago, asked. 8 and 35. And Acts 8 and 35 it says uh, there was this guy named Philip who trying to preach the scriptures and talk about Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch. And in Acts 8 35, he said, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized. And then verse 38 says, and he commanded that the chariot stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Amen. The, the Ethiopian eunuch got baptized and, and he was saved, right? No, no, because that, that's not all of the story. See the, the amplified version, the NASB, the NIS, the, the NIV and these other fake Bible versions, they skip over Verse 37, verse 37 is missing from their Bible versions. Even in the New King James Bible, the, NK, the NKJV, even in the New King James Bible, which tries to pretend to be a newer version of the King James Bible, but it reads just like the NIV, the New King James Bible skips verse 37. And why is verse 37 so important? Because it says, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, Thou mayest, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's the only way you can you can get saved is by believing on the Lord, confessing with your mouth, and uh, getting saved by believing, by repenting and believing on the Lord. You just don't get saved just by getting wet, getting uh, baptized. And I got into a discussion with the lady who said, oh, all you got to do is be baptized in order to be saved. And I'm like, no, that's not true. You have to believe. You have to be be a born-again believer. And then afterwards, you get baptized as your first act of obedience to the Lord. She used this as her proof text, but she was using an NIV. And because the NIV didn't have verse 37, she believed that all you have to do was just get baptized, and then you're on your way to heaven. And that's blasphemy. That's heresy. That is incorrect doctrine to think that just because you get baptized, that that's all you need to do 
to go to heaven. No, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And there's countless and countless verses in the Bible that says just that. But this lady was using an NIV. She used this as her proof text. And it shows this goes to show you that these other Bible translations are actually very dangerous because they can literally lead someone to hell because they don't give all the information that the person needs in order to, to, to get to heaven. I always like to say, if I got 10 steps to defuse a bomb, I don't want step number nine missing from my set of instructions. That's right, and amen. so my soul is more valuable to me than even defusing the bomb. If I want to have my soul secured, I want to make sure I have every single verse that God has given me and not just some verses uh, committee or uh, some uh, council says, well, I don't think that verse is important. We're going to take that out. Okay, now we have a problem because now you're taking out Bible verses, but you still expect for me to have the whole truth, the whole doctrine of the word of God, when you're actually ripping and skipping Bible verses out of the original text. Mark 16, uh, there's as many as a dozen Bible verses that are missing from uh, the Alexandrian text, the text that these modern Bible translations use. Half of the last chapter of Mark is completely gone because they felt it, it wasn't important enough to, to keep in their Bible versions for whatever reason. And so they, they just took them out. And so once again, this is the danger of having an incorrect Bible version, because unless you have the, the correct Bible version, uh, you're, you're going to be not as spiritually mature. Or you're not going to grow as spiritually as you need to if you have a, a lesser Bible version. And I, I don't know about you. I just don't want Cheetos for breakfast. I want a full meal for breakfast to help me grow. And so just having something that's light, quote unquote, easy to digest. <laughs> right. Um, and I guess you could argue if Cheetos are easy to digest or not, but I, you know, I, I want the full meal. I want the bacon's egg, you know, grits, toast, the, the full meal so that I can grow and, and mature. But, you know, having stuff that's missing, I don't, I'm not getting the full meal. And as a result, it's going to stunt my growth. The allegory is that not having the full Bible, full word of God will stunt your growth spiritually and Amen. may even keep you from even being born again, depending upon what passages of scripture you're looking at. And and all I can think about is, is a running parallel between what you just say, you know, you, know uh, you are what you eat. You are what you consume. And if, if you're not being fed fully, you're going to have deficiencies. And those deficiencies could lead to, again, like, like you just stated, to, to you not uh, going to heaven, even though you may believe that you are, which is very unfortunate, or missing out on the opportunity to, to get others to go with you because Jesus commanded us to seek and to save that which we lost. And if and if we think we're just doing that by water, then then we're then we're failing. Yes, yes, it's yes. Very unfortunate. Now, yes, and now, now this is this is not to say that you can only get saved by the 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 King James Bible. All right, Correct. I want to make that distinction because we have well, we can we can use the simple examples. We have Chinese brothers and sisters. We have Ukrainian brothers and sisters who hear the the gospel in their own languages, and, and they get saved. People can get saved. We don't even have to go across country, even just here in the United States and America. You can give your testimony mm -hmm. and someone can get coming to the realization of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the testimony that, that you give. So I'm not saying that the only way you can 
get saved is by reading the King James Bible. But what I am saying is that you will not fully grow into the Christian that the Lord will have you to be, talking about English-speaking people, unless you have the King James Bibles, because these, these other Bible versions, they have some doctrine, but they don't have all the right doctrine. That's the difference. You don't want just some doctrine, because the, the NIV and the ESV and even the New King James Bible, they have some things that are close in doctrine. But then if you want the entire word of God, and that's what I want, I want the entire unadulterated word of God for English speaking people. You can't do any better than the King James Bible. Amen. Morgan was uh, referring to this again. That's another reason why you got to know God's word rather than mm -hmm. just following a person. And in Sunday school classes and in discussions that we've had, um, we've we've always discussed and advised, don't ever take someone's word for it. Absolutely right. Get into the word yourself. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. I never want, I would be horrified if anyone took my word for anything that I said as it relates to the, to the teachings of, of, of scripture where they said, well, brother Kurt said this. No, no. I'll be horrified if someone said that you need to be able to say, well, Jesus said this or well, God said this, or this is what the scripture tells us to, to say and not just take somebody else's word because any any person can lead you astray. This is why you have to get into the word for yourself. This is why you need to pray, ask the Holy Ghost to reveal to you what he would have revealed unto you, read Amen. the scripture, and then pray afterwards. Have a scripture sandwich between prayer so that you'll know the truth about what God is wanting to share with you. I'm, I'm not asking anyone to take my word for any of this that we're discussing tonight. You can go see for yourself that mm -hmm. Acts 8.37 is missing from the NIV. You can go read for yourself that all these other Bible verses leave out the word yet, which makes Jesus a liar. You can take for yourself uh, all these other examples that we haven't talked about tonight, where the NIV calls Jesus and Satan the morning star, which basically makes Jesus and Satan the same person out right. of Isaiah 14, as well as Revelation 22. You can read those for yourself out of these fake Bible versions and see that stuff just doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. As a matter of fact, when I was doing a study, the book of John this morning, it's, I was looking at John 19, 14. John 19, 14 says, and it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, behold, your king. Well, in the other Bible versions, like the NIRV, the NIV, the NV, uh, NIV UK, the NLT, and all these other Bible translations, they say that it, uh, for John, excuse me, 1914, instead of saying the preparation of the Passover was about the sixth hour, they say the preparation of the Passover was around noontime. That is incorrect. That is incorrect because according to all the gospels, when the people brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate, they were all in the morning. And so the King James Bible is the only one that gets it right because the King James Bible says it was about the sixth hour. This is Roman time, not Hebrew time. The Roman time for the sixth hour is 6 a.m. And if you go back and check Matthew 27, 1, it says when the morning was come, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. So Matthew agrees with John 19, 14, where it says it was it's sometime in the morning, 6 a.m. is sometime in the morning. And then if you look at Mark 15, 1, it says, and straightway in the morning, 
Mm-hmm. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and carried him away to be delivered to Pilate. So Matthew 27, 1 says that the chief priest took Jesus in the morning to Pilate. Mark 15, 1 says that the chief priest uh, held a consultation and then took Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Still matching up with 6 a.m., from John 1914. Well, you say the book of Luke couldn't agree with that. Well, yeah, actually the book of Luke does too. How about that? The King James Bible is just amazing. Luke 22 and, and 66 says, and as soon as it was day, well, wait a minute, when does day begin? 6 a.m. in the morning. Day doesn't begin in the afternoon or in the evening. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, they all agree that Jesus was taken to Pontius Pilate sometime early in the morning. And here's the and here's the kicker. John, the 19th chapter, actually gives you the hour that it happened. Whereas the synoptic gospels just say, oh, it was sometime in the morning. Here's the thing. Even the NIV, the NKJV, and all these fake Bible versions, their versions of Matthew, Mark, Luke all say that chief priests and the scribes took Jesus to Pontius Pilate in the morning. That's the crazy part. But then in John 19, 14, they said that they took uh, Jesus to Pontius Pilate at noon. Jesus had been hanging on the cross for three hours since then because he was crucified <laughs> at 9 a.m. according to the book of Mark. He was crucified in the third hour in, in Mark, the 15th chapter. So how could Jesus be crucified in the, on, at 9 a.m. and then be taken to Pontius Pilate at noon? Did they take Jesus off the cross and say, hey, let's take you to Pontius Pilate at noon? No, of course not. So even <laughs> once again, the NIV and these other viable versions have conflicts even within the Gospels. It doesn't make sense. Jesus no. was, was taken to Pontius Pilate at 6 a.m. If across, And this is if you harmonize all the Gospels. He was taken to Pontius Pilate at 6 a.m. Uh, he was crucified starting at 9 a.m. There was darkness upon the earth. That's recorded in, in the Gospels from noon until 3. Mm-hmm. So they didn't. So there's. It would have been impossible for them to to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate at noon because they wouldn't be able to see where they were going unless they had lanterns and torches in the in the middle of the day because it was dark from noon until three, and then just after three o'clock, Jesus said, "It is finished." He gave up the ghost and, and died, and of course there was this big rush to make sure that Jesus was dead because the Passover was nigh. The Sabbath was coming up. They had three hours because the, the Sabbath was going to begin at 6 p.m. that day. Right. Their day starts Jesus at, died at, at sundown. 3 p.m. So they had to hurry up, get him off the cross and bury him because you were considered unclean if you touched anything dead going into the Passover. Right. So that's why they went to break his bones. And when they came to Jesus, the scripture said he was already dead. They found that he was already dead. They broke the bones of the thieves on either side of them because, you know, they had to break the bones of the legs to keep them from keeping themselves pressed against the cross where they could breathe because crucifixion is is like asphyxiation when you hang if you're not using your legs to hold yourself up your lungs will fill and 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 you'll you'll die and so but Jesus they found Jesus to have already given up the ghost and have been dead but they did break the legs of the other two thieves to speed up the dying process because Jesus died at three o'clock they only had three hours to get Jesus in the tomb because at 6 p.m., that was going to be the, the high time for the Passover and the Sabbath. And, and so that's all laid out and harmonized in the Gospels. But then you got the NIV and the ESV, the RSV, the ATV, the Elemental NOP, all messing it up by saying that it was noon when they took 
uh, Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Just absolutely ridiculous. Well, and that's you know, just something I just found out today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the ruler of the air is going to do anything that's that right. That's right. they can, it can do mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to to create confusion. Mm-hmm. And and it is it is only by <clears throat> studying and and getting in God's word and understanding God's word that you can discern the difference and understand the full picture and the harmonization of of the gospels. And of course, Second Timothy two fifteen mm-hmm. study to show thyself approved unto God. Yes, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing right. the word of truth. Right. We have to study. We have to get in God's word. This is not, again, we talked about this earlier when we started, this is not putting anyone else down. If you if you are ignorant, and ignorant's not a bad word. If you are right. ignorant because you don't know better, and mm-hmm. and the first introduction to Christ you, you have on paper is someone gifts you a Bible, and, you, and, it's, and it's a different version that is watered down mm-hmm. and just ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine, but this is to edify and and to give you proper discernment, yes. so you can understand. Yes, yes. To show, and to you show gotta have an open heart about it, even for you know, quote unquote, blood bought Christians, Christians who have been saved for many, many years, or even fifty or sixty years. You, you you've been been saved. You never should be so proud that you can't think that you can't learn something new about the Word of God. I know that I've had plenty of people who have shown me verses that says, hey, brother, I know you taught about this over here, but here's what the scripture says. And then I had to make a decision. I had to either be prideful and say, hey, you're just some little, you just got saved yesterday. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I, I know more about the word of God than you do. Or I do what the Bible says, which is to humble myself as a little child. Amen go back and study that word, find out that what that person told me was true or not. And if they were true, I would go back to them and thank them for correcting me. That's what a real blood-bought Christian does. Instead of saying, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You're misinterpreting that scripture. No, you know, no one knows the entire Bible from an expert perspective. Some people they're better at prophecy than others. Some people know more about Noah's flood than the others. Some people know about this doctrine more than others. And so it's it's not like we fully arrived once we've been saved for 60 or 70 years. There's always room to learn and there's always room for the Holy Spirit to grow us, for the Holy Ghost to grow us. And so going to, to to your point, I pray that as we give this information to those people who do use the NIV, the whatever, TLB, whatever version that they're using, that they will actually go back and read for themselves, just like the Berans did in the book of Acts. Even when Paul preached to them, and we know Paul was a man after God's own heart, that he was a man of God. He wrote half the New Testament. But even when Paul preached, the Berans said, okay, Paul, that's good, but we're going to go back and study for ourselves to make sure that you know what you're talking about. And they did. And they were commended for that. There are Baptist churches, I know at least today, that have Berean Baptist or Berean Bible Church in their name because of the diligence of the Bereans that were in the book of Acts. Right. And, and so, yes, even Paul was challenged on his doctrine in the book of Acts. 
But Paul was okay with that because he he said, it's not about me, it's about the word of God. Right. And that's the place where we have to, to get to. It's where we need to, to realize, hey, if, if you're listening and you're getting this information, you're saying, hey, I, I never heard about this thing with John 7 and, and the NIV, or I never heard about this thing about in Acts, the eighth chapter in, in NIV and in KJV that this whole Bible verse is missing. If you haven't heard of those things before, don't take my word for it. Go back and read it for yourself. I pray that you do, because when it's all said and done, you got to see God for yourself. Trust me, uh, Brother Kirk can't, can't get you to heaven. No. Because Brother Kirk can't get his own self to heaven. He can only get there by the by the blood of Jesus Amen. and by trusting in, in the finished work of Jesus. So just don't take my word for it. You go back and, and, and read it from yourself. But know this out of Proverbs, the 30th chapter, the fifth and sixth verses. Know that every word of God is pure and he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Also, that passage says, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Can you tell us who is not a liar? God is not a liar. Amen. God is, God is not a, a liar. Uh, let let God be true in every man a liar, says the scripture. There, there's so many passages that talk about that God is not a man that he should lie. There's at least half a dozen passages that talk about that it is impossible for God to lie. 23 and 49, you can go to Titus 1 and 2, you can go to Hebrews 6 and 18, you can go to Romans 3 and 4. They all talk about how God is not a liar. So you need to trust in the word of God and not trust in a man or some committee or some council that's gotten together that says we are going to decide what stuff to keep in God's word and what stuff to change in God's word and what stuff to take out of God's word. No, we already talked about in the book of Revelation, God doesn't like for you to add or take away from his word. Sure. All right. And another thing about that real quick, in, in case somebody is confused, you, some people may think, well, God talked about not adding or taking from his word in the book of Revelation, so when he says not adding or taking away from his book, God must have been talking about just the book of Revelation. Don't add or take away from the book of Revelation. Well, no, that, that's a specious argument because then you have to ask yourself the question, well, where is a perfect copy of the book of Revelation? It can only be found in a perfect Bible. <laughs> You're not going to have the NIV people modify 65 uh, 65 books of the Bible and not touch uh, the book of Revelation. You can forget that. Mm -hmm. So you can only find the perfect word of uh, the book of Revelation in a perfect Bible where the other 65 books have not been touched as well. So we can have an argument and say that in Revelation 22, where it's talking about not adding or taking away from God's word, that that was only referring to the book of Revelation. Okay, maybe it is talking about the book of Revelation, but um, my question is, where are you going to find a perfect copy of the book of Revelation? Are you going to find it in the NLT? Are you going to find it in the Amplified Version? Are you going to find it in the RSV? Are you going to find it in the ESV? Are you going to find it in the NASB? Hey, Brother Kurt. Yes, ma'am. Who do you tell me? Who is not the author of Confusion? Oh, that's a very easy question. We know that God is not the author of Confusion. He <gasps> tells us that in his word. And so why in the world would God be in the middle of all of these different Bible versions and confuse people and when people don't know whether or not you got to be is only water baptism only or Jesus said one thing or did another thing. That's actually First Corinthians 14, 33. God is not the author of confusion. That's why God originally gave this country King James Bible. This King James Bible was the first book authored authorized by 
the U.S. Congress to be used as a uh, public textbook in school. And it's the only book up until the mid, I would say even the 1970s, whenever you had Hollywood, even Hollywood, recognized the King James Bible as the standard, as the Bible. And you can go back and check some of the old Bible uh, movies like Samson and, and all of that. When you look at the credits, it will say this is based upon the Bible, which was the King James Bible. That was the standard. And then over time, the father of lies, uh, which is Satan out of John 8 and 44, God called Satan the father of lies. He introduced confusion by introducing all these other Bible versions. And you, think about this for a moment. You got one U.S. Constitution, right? You don't have many different versions of the U.S. Constitution, Ooh. right? You only got one U.S. Constitution, right? We can agree on that. But even mm -hmm. with that one U.S. Constitution, you have Democrats, you got Republicans, you got Libertarians, you got the Green Party, you got the end. And, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, there's only one copy of the U.S. Constitution. Why are we getting all these different opinions about a, a single document? Now, if we have chaos with the interpretation of the U.S. Constitution, which is a single document, how much more chaos do we introduce when we have over 300 versions, uh, uh, translations of the word of God? <laughs> I mean, how much more confusion do you want? If there's confusion, then the plan of salvation is much less likely to be clear to a soul seeking. Yes. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to take down as many people as he can, because a lot of people in the world don't realize Satan hates you. Satan hates you because you were made in God's image and he hates God. And so he knows he can't go one-on-one. -on -one. He knows he can't fight God, but he can sure get after the, the children of God. He can sure get after people who don't know God and he wants to prevent them from knowing God. And so he can wreak havoc. We know Satan has power because in the book of Job, Satan had to get permission from, from God. God told him, do what do whatever you want to do, but just don't kill him. So that let you know right there, you can't, you can't mess with Satan. Satan will kill you unless you are protected by God. He can he created tornadoes, he brought sickness and illness upon Job's body, but that was only because God allowed it. It shows you how powerful Satan really is. Now, if you don't have God protecting you, oh boy, all we can do is pray for you. And so many because Satan's Satan's powerful. And so many people use trials as a reason to ignore God. Um, but Job chapter one verse twenty two says, "In all this," and this is only in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. Yes. So most of a lot of this hasn't even happened yet, but he's already been through significant trials. And Job chapter one, verse 22 says, in all this, Job nor charged God foolishly. And to me, that is comforting because it says that we can go through things and be sad about it, be heartbroken, feel the, the loss, acknowledge the loss. We don't have to plaster on a fake smile and fake it till we make it and pretend that everything's okay. But there's a way to go through those things and not in. Yes. And, and further in uh, Job, the 13th chapter, the 15th verse, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, mm -hmm. I, but I will maintain my own ways before him. So even in the midst of all of that, in the 13th chapter later on, Job is saying, you know, God's beating me up, but I'm still going to trust him because Job didn't know what was happening at the time. The the conversation that Satan had with God. So he was just looking to God and he said, though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. Now that's faith. That's the type of faith that we need that when, as you say, when we're going through trials and tribulations, 
we just need to, to trust God. And even if things are not looking up, we just need to continue to have faith. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him because God is faithful to us in the end. He may not always answer our prayers the way He wants. we want them to be answered, but God is still faithful. We just have to trust in him. And I wonder if the human desire for control is what makes some of these watered down versions a little more popular because we took something that maybe some people didn't fully understand and they didn't want mm -hmm. to take the time to study so that they could fully understand because maybe it revealed a little bit more of their actual condition, sinful condition than they really wanted to see or be accountable for. And so maybe these versions that are a little watered down make their sin a little smaller, a little less mm. scary. And like they can control a little bit more of their entire life and their entire destiny and a little bit of their eternity, hopefully, but it's control, you know? Right, right. Like this is this is my Bible. I get to say what's in it and what's not. And that's not God's work. That's man's work. And that, that goes back to the Garden of Eden because what was the selling point that the serpent gave to Eve? He said, you could be your own God. You can be as God. That was the selling point. Yeah. And Eve was like, yeah, yeah, I could be as God. And then what happened? She ate of the forbidden fruit, gave it to her husband, and then he ate behind her. And then there was the fall of man right there. Because all that Adam knew better, because the commandment was actually given to Adam before Eve was even on the scene. We, we got know that from scripture. Uh, Adam was already given the, the instruction to stay away from the tree. But because there was that innate desire to have, like you said, to have control, to quote-unquote control my own destiny, to be as God, which a lot of men, they they worship themselves. They are their own God. They worship other men. I enjoy the Dallas Cowboys and other sports shows, but a lot of people, they, they worship the Cowboys. They worship the athletes. They worship the celebrities. They worship the, the music artists. Man was never meant to be worshipped. People's downfall. Not just the reason Elvis was depressed. That's the reason Michael Jackson was depressed. That's the reason Whitney Houston was depressed. That's the reason Kurt Kurbain was depressed. That's the reason uh, uh, Prince went through all these famous artists and celebrities who you think just had, you know, everything at their fingertips. They had mansions and yachts and all that they wanted, but it was never meant for them to be worshipped. And as a result of that, they didn't know what to do with themselves, trying to worship your, yourself or to worship your stuff instead of worshiping the true living God. I think, we, I think we've kind of gone off on a tangent there, but it was still so worth it. That's all, right. That's all right. And, you know, I think a lot of people would sometimes choose to not know because now we all know if we don't know, we're not responsible. So if I don't know the whole truth and I'm not responsible for obeying the whole truth. And when I hear just a little bit of the whole truth and it insinuates to me that I've got to give up some of that lifestyle I really enjoy. I don't really want that truth. That's not comfortable enough for me. That's not enough control for me. Um, and I'd rather just stick with the comfortable amount of truth that I feel like I have because it can allow me to keep my favorite pet sins and keep my lifestyle and I don't have to be so accountable for all my choices. Yes, yeah, Second Peter 3, 5 says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, uh, that by the word of God. Second Peter 3, 5 says it best. There are other passages too where it talks about how many people are just, they're wanting to be willingly ignorant. When we go soul winning, we knock on the door and the people are quick to close their doors. They don't want to hear the word of God because they say, hey, as long as I don't hear it, then I'm innocent. Well, guess what? You know what? When I go through that school zone at 80 miles an hour and the cop pulls me over and I tell him, but officer, I thought I could go 
80 miles an hour through a school zone. I didn't know. Guess guess who's getting the ticket? Guess who may even go to jail for going that mm -hmm. fast? Ignorance of the to. law is no excuse. And the same applies to the word of God. That's why God is patient with us. He's trying to give everyone an opportunity to, to be saved because the scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. And right. so it's not like God is going to get any giggles out of seeing people go to hell. He hates He hates that. Hell was made, and the Gospels tells us this, hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was not made for man. That's in scripture. You can look that up for yourself. Hell was made for the devils and the angels. It wasn't made for man. But a lot of people are going to send themselves to hell because they want to have their eyes covered and their fingers in their ears. Yeah. And they're saying, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear the truth. And as long as I don't hear the truth, I'm not accountable. Guess what? Try that with a police officer going and, you know, and please don't do this. I'm being facetious. <laughs> when I say, we cannot doing 80 miles an hour through a, a, a school zone. Please do not do that. You're going to endanger yourself, the lives of others. And you, you know what? It's, it's kind of sad that I even have to give that disclaimer because, you know, when I was growing up, people weren't that dumb. You could make mm -hmm. a joke like that and people wouldn't try it. But anyway, I digress. The fact of the matter is ignorance of the law is no excuse. Even Second Peter 3, 5 says, hey, you guys were are trying to be willingly ignorant of the word of God. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to stand before a holy and righteous God and be accountable for yourself. Amen. We were kind of circling back here. We were talking about who's not the author of confusion. And it's first Corinthians 14, 33. It says for God is not to the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Right. So we all need to be in one accord, one word, one accord, all churches of the saints. Right. Now, that made me go off of my own little rabbit trails here. I pulled up the uh, the 1828 Webster's Dictionary of Confusion. Huh. It is a general sense of mixture of, of several things, disorder, irregularity. And it talked about the Tower of Babel. Well, what does the King James Bible say about Babel? We go to... Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, it says, go let us uh, confound their language. That's the King James Bible. So 11, 7 of Genesis says, confound their language. But no, let's go to the NIV. And it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the people were building. The Lord says, come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand. God confounded their language that they may not understand one another's speech. But why did he do that? Because of the wicked, the wickedness of people's imagination that was brewing at that time. To circle back, you know, God is not the author of confusion. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. We all need to be in one court in one Bible. We all, you know, the, we're talking about the harmony of, of the Gospels with the time that Jesus was crucified. And that all needs to work together. And there is no confusion in that. If, if one plus one doesn't equal two, then math is a lie. If, if all those things are not in harmony, then the Gospels are false therefore everything else falls apart confusion of tongues at, Bab uh, at Babel let me let me pull up my Bible to, to look into this thing about Babel which is uh Genesis we were I know we were just talking in Genesis so Genesis chapter 11 verse 7 well let's start in, let's start in 6 11 6 and 7 and the Lord said behold the people is one and they all have one language and this they begin to do 
and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now we're talking about men's evil imagination, what they imagine to do, that they're becoming wicked. Going to verse 7 says, go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that there may that they may not understand one another's speech. It did not say confuse. It says confound. So let's go to Genesis 11, 6 and 7 and the NIV. Verse 6, the Lord says, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Not the same. Verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the NIV is literally saying that God authored confusion by changing languages. Right. That's what it reads like, even though we just finished reading that God is not the author of confusion. What a terrible way to lead people astray from God. You're confusing people so on purpose. Subtle. So subtle that I've heard people say, mm, no, it's implied. No, it's not. It's very subtle, but it's there. Mm -hmm. and you have to be paying attention. You but know you... was subtle in the Garden of Eden? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I'm just reading mm -hmm. my King James Bible. It says that the serpent was the most subtle uh, creature in the garden. And what else is very subtle is is in the King James Version, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33, says, For God is not the author of confusion. But let's switch over pages to the NIV. For God is not a God of disorder. Amazing. That's all I can say, amazing. So they said, well, let's make Genesis 11, 7 a little more understandable. Oh, no, we've done it again. Now we're contradicting ourselves. Well, rather than just fix it, let's go Let's go all the way back to the New Testament and let's just change that one too. It's, yeah. blas it's blasphemy and it's it's tragic and it's it's very sad. Or if they, I, sometimes I wonder if they even know what they're doing. Amen. Amen. Uh, Brother Kurt, I did have one question for you. You are our SME. Our, our subject matter expert on all things KJV. Um, oh boy. We've talked about a lot of differences, some subtle, some not subtle. Uh, you can't just rip out a whole verse, remove a whole verse. I, uh, God says you can't, but they did. Um, and that's very egregious. But from your studies, your research, your time in God's word, what have you found to be possibly the most egregious changes that could affect someone's eternity? I know we talked about the baptism, but do you have any specific things that could alter someone's forever? Well, that's a that's a tough question uh, because there are many, but I, if I would have to say, and uh, I can't cite the specific verse right now, because like I said, there's so many, but anything that would challenge the deity of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, anything uh, like, well, yeah, I think I do have an example. Do you recall, and I'm going to have to look this up, where it talks about how God was manifested in the flesh, and we know that's a reference to Jesus, a passage of scripture that deals with where God manifested in the flesh, seen of angels. First Timothy 3.16. First Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. I think that's egregious because other translations, they changed God to he. 
And so they, they refer to he, so you could think he could be Jesus, the man versus God. So they do this for the NIV. They do this for some other Bible versions, uh, the RSV. I think they do this for the, uh, the NASB does it. And the Jehovah's False Witness Bible does it. The Jehovah's False Witness Bible, the New World Translation, the NWT, mm-hmm. uh, they all change God to he. So right there, they're removing the fact that Jesus is God, because we know Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. I mean, that's where we get, where we talk about Christmas time and the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel is used in a lot of different Christmas poems and hymns. Emmanuel means God with us. Right. Because Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And so I think one of the more egregious offenses to the true doctrine is when they remove the word God and just say he was manifested in the flesh. That fits everyone else's people who don't believe Jesus is God, your Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, your Muslims. All of them can agree with that verse because when it refers to Jesus as he, they're just saying Jesus the man was manifested in the flesh. Not that almighty creator God was manifested in the flesh. When you remove, when you have Bible passages like this, that remove the deity of Christ. Now you're changing the doctrine. Salvation is is challenged because now you're saying it was just a man who died. It wasn't God who was manifested in flesh. Now, granted, Jesus is, when he walked the earth, he was 100% man as well as 100% God. And when he died on the cross, he died as a man, but he rose again with all power in heaven and earth in his hand because he he is God. It also goes... In, in the NIV, to say that he was vindicated by the Spirit. Now, in the King James Bible, it says he was justified. My Lord and Savior does not need to be vindicated. He doesn't need to be defended, because to justify is to judge rightly of, and he was yeah. judged rightly of. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. need to be defended or yeah. supported, because he is that he is. Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to say that this is my main offensive verse, out of one of the other translations, but this would definitely be in the top three, if not the top two, where you just remove the word God and, and replace it with anything else other than just God, keeping it as the original text, uh, because you're trying to lessen the fact that uh, Jesus is deity. And unfortunately, we have many televangelists and, and many false preachers and prophets who use this. They they decrease Jesus while increasing themselves, saying that, hey, we are our own gods. That is being taught in a lot of, unfortunately, being taught in a lot of churches right now, that we are our own gods. We are our own little gods, while at the same time, they're removing the the deity of of Jesus Christ. I could uh, throw out some names, but I'm going to just keep it simple for now. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's listening in, but I ought to say it because if you're listening to certain televangelists and you're not reading God's word for yourself and you're just taking these other people's word for it, you're being deceived because I I, I love everyone who I would rather see everyone who's listening to this podcast go to heaven. I don't want to have anyone go to hell because they're too lazy to pick up the book and read it for themselves and, mm-hmm. and learn for themselves and they're listening to these false prophets and these false this false doctrine that jesus warned us about in matthew the 24th chapter and mark the 13th chapter jesus said in the last days 
uh, there will be perilous times. But he also said there's going to be many false prophets and false doctrines. And we're seeing that now. And a lot of this is uh, on television. It's definitely out on YouTube. You got these guys who, quote unquote, form their own online churches for people who are they're too lazy to, to actually visit and fellowship in a in a real in-person church. Right. Uh, they just watch YouTube videos and they're just being fed lies because they don't know how to pick up not only a Bible, but the right Bible, which is the King James Bible, and understand that some of the things that these people are teaching is blasphemous and heretical. And if they're not careful, it, it could send them to hell. Amen. I'm going to get real controversial and I do it out of love. Because what what did Jesus command us to do? To love us, to love each other. Yes, yes, yes. Love, love, love thy God and, and love one another. Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. Um, let's go to Luke chapter 17. We're talking about Lot's wife here. Says, Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. 34. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. So someone's always getting left. What also is left in the NIV is verse 36, period. But it says, remember Lot's wife, exclamation point, by the way, NIV. Whoever tries to keep or keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you. On that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. There is no 36. And it goes to 37 in the NIV. Where, Lord? They asked. He replied, well, where there's a dead body, there will be vultures will gather. But in the King James, again, two men shall be in the, in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? And he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, Thither will the eagles be gathered together. So why why are we missing these things? That's a great question. I have no idea why they removed verse 36, other than the fact that they were just using corrupt text, like I said, more than likely from the corrupt text found in Alexandria, Egypt. Instead of using the textus receptus, they're just using corrupt text, getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that picked, stuck out to me is, is again, 34 I tell you, in that night, there should be two men in one bed, and, and one will be taken. But it just says people in, in the NIV. That's interesting, because with the NIV being more modern and contemporary, I, you would have thought they would have kept that one in there. <laughs> you would you would think, but we uh, they they choose not to try to offend, right? Uh, I, I guess. I don't I don't know. You know, words words matter. Every word matters. Every word has a meaning. Yes, yes, absolutely. For that particular verse, and I, I think I've done a study on that before, there's really no connotation of uh, homosexuality that is meant by that passage, especially during that time. And, right. I, you know, I would even say, you know, in my early childhood, people didn't have the luxury of having their own beds. They shared beds. There was a bed people would bunk up together where it was two men, three men. And unfortunately, I bunked up with my younger brother. <laughs> For many years, because from growing up, we just had the one bed. Later on, when we became teenagers, we had separate beds. But that's still not an indication of, of anything right. untoward or anything. It's just Jesus is just stating what's going to happen. And that's interesting that somebody felt that a detail as large as to the consistency and truth of the spoken word of Jesus 
that needs to be changed and mm -hmm. including this detail. I would actually, I don't want to hear the logic of why they felt that needed to be changed, but it, it does seem to point to the, the tendency of humans to want to control and to just nitpick and say, well, this isn't really necessary. And just letting the flesh decide that. And I imagine there's a certain amount of power that comes with mm. chopping up and taking out things out of God's word and knowing it's going to be published and that people are going to be reading it and buying it and passing it along and preaching and teaching from it. Um, but that's so interesting that one verse that seems small, there's a reason it was removed. There's a reason it didn't make it. The root of it is, of course, sin, but it's probably greed and pride are at the, the root of that. Amen, Producer Morgan. I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, with you, I don't know the true origins by why that particular uh, verse was left out, but as you said, I'm sure it's, it's one of those three reasons you just mentioned. And and that's that's small potatoes uh, compared. Of course, nothing, nothing. I'm sorry. Forgive me for for misphrasing that, but it, it, that could seem more insignificant. But it, again, you're you're removing things from the Bible. Nothing is is insignificant, but it could seem more insignificant. But if we want to get a little more significant, uh, last thing for me is if you have an NIV Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew eighteen eleven. I'll wait. There, there is no Matthew eighteen eleven. No, it skips there. because in my Bible that I that I use in Matthew eighteen eleven it says, "For the Son of Man come is to is to what to save which was lost." Now, this is a parable of the wandering sheep, of course, but we got to go get them. Jesus wants us to go get the ones that are lost. It's it's a commandment for us in that parable to go out and do. And that's, that's what I hope that we are, are trying or accomplishing by just these, these discussions as, as going out and get those wandering sheep, those which are lost as Jesus commanded us to do as Jesus was sent and here to do. As always, we want to make sure that we communicate. You're listening. We love you and we want to see Amen. you. We want to meet you and know you and celebrate with you and be in fellowship with you. We do not want to tear you down and just say, you are wrong, you are bad, you are not educated. We want to love you. We want to bring you into the fold. And um, when you love someone, you have to tell them the truth. Amen. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. When you're dealing with uh, children, they may want to have gummy bears for breakfast, but you have to tell them the truth that gummy bears isn't what you need first thing in the morning to, to get your day going. So. Uh, but you do it out of love. You you discipline your children. Hey, even when it comes to, to marriage, you you tell your spouse things uh, because you want them to improve or be better, not because hopefully you're telling your spouse things not to tear them down, but you're telling them things that they need to hear to build them, to build them up and to edify them and to strengthen the marriage. And spouses should be comfortable enough with each other to uh, take criticism uh as well as whether it's constructive or otherwise as long as it's done in love 
And so to echo what producer Morgan said, that's exactly what we're about. We're only doing this podcast is because we want to uh, and encourage those who are um, already in the word of God. And for those who may be on the fence about some things, uh, we want to uh, encourage and, like you said, invite them into the fold as well. So uh, that's what Jesus did. And we're going to be like Christ. That's what we should do. Amen. And I think part of helping others come to the fold is fighting for them not to be taken by the enemy. Not just letting them go and saying, oh, well, they're lost. No, we need to stand up for truth and say, hey, listen to me. I love you. I want you to walk in on the streets of gold with me. Come on. No, don't get distracted by that. Let's fight for right. Amen. And, and you know, right still here in Matthew chapter 18 and, and verse 14, it says, you know, when the shepherd goes and finds, goes and looks at that sheep, even so, uh, it is not the will of our Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Not one. In the whole world. That's me. That's you. That's you. It's everybody. God would would not sacrifice one of us. He He is given us an open invitation. Twenty twenty three. And here we are. We're on the cusp of celebrating Christmas. And what do I get my wife? What do I get my kids? What do I get my, what does what Morgan get her husband? I don't have a husband. Um, you know, what <clears throat> we, we concentrate on these things. Oh, we're traveling. Uh, I gotta, I gotta finish up my schoolwork or my, or, or my, my work uh, before I'm off for the holidays and I rush and I run and I go to the grocery store and I'm caught up in the commercialism, but I, I, we, we can forget that I once was a lost sheep. We were all lost sheep at one point and somebody did the work, went and found us, brought us back and gave us the only gift that really matters. And that's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that somebody thought of me and worked on me and planted that seed and worked that seed and kept the weeds out of that garden so that I could grow because I was work. My youth pastor worked on me for almost a whole year nonstop. And I was hardheaded and absolute certain that I believed a fairy tale that when I was a very, 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 very young boy that... I was in uh, one of our first podcasts. Uh, we talked about our, you know, our, our salvation, but our, there was a Sunday school classroom where they, they were giving away Bibles if you get saved. And that was a bright, shiny Bible. And I wanted it because everybody else was getting one and I didn't get it. So I'm going to say whatever I got to say to get it. And, and my loving parents, they, how are they, how are they supposed to know that? Like, nope, you're saved. Nope. You're good. And it wasn't until a, a very stubborn, loving youth pastor said, you sure? What do you actually remember about it? Tell me about it. Would you bet your eternity on that? So we can I always rely on God's word. You. Yeah. Would you I bet your eternity on what you're reading? Would you bet your eternity on, on who you're fellowshipping with? Because it's just that one gift. That's all that matters. You just got to take it. And I... I 
there's a lot of gifts and I, I I'm, I'm thankful for you, Morgan and you brother Kurt for your gifts that you bring and, uh, and make me a better person and a better Christian. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Amen. Thank you. Love, thank love you, you both as well. For, uh, for really giving us, giving us all the gold nuggets and all the clear truth. Amen. Truth um in love and truth based on truth not feelings mm-hmm. merry christmas merry christmas do we want to vacation time it feels like it is it feels like if it's it really does <laughs> for all you know every head bowed every eye closed let's go where's the music Unless you're driving if you're driving right now <clears throat> yeah, yeah right doing that. yeah but uh before brother kurt does take us out in prayer don't if you know that you know that you really know that no matter what would happen have you received the greatest gift? Can you give, can you help show somebody how to get that gift for this season? It's e- it's easy to go buy something, put a bow on it. But uh, what's most important is, is that lamb and giving mm-hmm. the gift of that lamb. Don't be afraid to ask yourself that. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord in, in, in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just so thankful, Father, for another opportunity, Father, to uh, have a podcast where we can talk about the Word of God, Lord, and talk about it in spirit and in truth. Lord, for those who are listening, Lord, we ask that they reflect upon uh, this this Christmas time, Lord, and the time of, of giving, Lord, as uh, we believe, Lord, that uh, God the Father gave His only begotten Son to us, Lord, as a gift so that we may have uh, eternal life uh, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Father, the best gift that we can give back to you, Lord, is ourselves, uh, our soul, our mind, our body, our heart, our love back to you, Father. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, for those who are listening, Father, if they haven't done it already, Lord, that they give themselves to you tonight, Lord, that they bow their heads, Lord, uh, just uh, confess that they're lost without you, Lord, for those who are lost and that they're in need of a Savior, Lord. I and mean, we just pray, Lord, that uh, uh, they will uh, have a softened heart, Lord, to this uh, word, Lord, so that they will hear your word, Father, and um, get saved uh, even now, Lord. And so, Father, for those of us, Lord, uh, who are involved in the hustle and bustle, of Christmas, Father, but while we are already saved, Father, we just pray, Lord, that uh, you have us to remember, Lord, that uh, Jesus is the perfect gift for us and that uh, we should not be distracted by the things of this world because that's of the devil and that we should always have our focus on you. And so, Father, I just thank you for uh, Brother uh, Jacob and Producer Morgan, Lord, and uh, for their input tonight. And we just ask, Lord, that those on this uh, listening to this podcast will be blessed because of it. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you all. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's edition of KJ&E. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at Kurt at kjnd.com or jacob at kjnd.com A special thank you to the Abbott family and Reach Ministries for their music used in this podcast. We hope you have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.
I, I did want to ask one last question before we end this. Mm-hmm. Which one of Santa's reindeer has the worst manner manners? <laughs> I I don't know the answer to that one. Rudolph. Like, Where does snowmen keep their money? I thought you were going, but okay. Oh, it's a snowbank. Snowbank. It's uh, a snowbank. Amen. It just came to me right after that. Yeah. <laughs>